Our scripture reading for today to prepare for what Drew's going to share with us is from Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 15. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both access and one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens and the saints, and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. The book of Ephesians is, is an amazing letter that is all about our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. And, and as we've been beginning to look at this over the last few weeks, I hope that it's coming alive. I hope that the truth that God is proclaiming through this, this letter written to a church a long time ago, you'll find incredibly relevant to you today. Because it's a book, it's a letter about our freedom in Christ. Jesus Christ, when you place your trust in him as Savior and Lord, he breaks the chains. He sets you free to have a new identity, a new life, a new life source. He gives us the Holy Spirit as an absolute guarantee to come and live within us, and then he invites us to be filled with his presence so that he can do a work of transformation both in us and through us. For those of you who were here last week, I gave you uh, um, 30 different truths about our new identity in Christ, and we said those all together. And, and I heard a number of, of people comment just on how powerful it was to think about all those things that we've been given in Christ individually. Today, we're going to see there's, there's something even greater than that. It's our new identity collectively as God's people, the church. And, and today, we're going to talk about the church. And as I do so, understand, I do not mean ICP. ICP is a, a wonderful gathering of people. But God's church is so much bigger. So when I say the church, I mean every believer from every land, from every denomination, from all different backgrounds who's placed their trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord. And when we truly understand the privilege we have as the church, as well as the responsibility, it will change your view, number one, on the church, but also it will give you great reason to praise and celebrate Jesus because he has chosen you to do something absolutely unbelievable. 
All right, so I'm setting the stage, I'm setting the bar really high because there's a scripture we're gonna read today that I promise you, unless you're already like 85% dead, it's gonna blow your mind away, okay? So you're ready, I'm, and I promise it's gonna, in the US I would say something like, it'll knock your socks off. That really doesn't translate very well. So you come up with something else that's amazing, okay? If you think of it, just shout it out because it'll be better than what I came up with. But it's incredible. But in order to do that, I want to ask the Lord um, to really speak today. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, your word is immeasurably important. And so, Father, I ask that you would let me get out of the way, that your Holy Spirit would speak. Lord, the words that are my own thoughts, would you burn them away with dross? Lord, may they just be pushed aside we ask that you would speak in a way that honors who Jesus is, that does a work of transformation in us and through us, and points us not only to truth that we can know with our minds, but to the power of the Holy Spirit, to the transformation of grace, to enable it to be lived out in our lives. Thank you in advance for what you are going to do, Lord. In Jesus' name. Ephesians chapter 3, in verses 14 through 21, is a prayer, part of which Andrew read for us as, as our corporate prayer today. And in that prayer that is a prayer for the church, there are all kinds of incredible things to grab a hold of. But it begins and somewhat ends, it reaches its climax in verse 14 and then in verse 21. And so I want to put those two together because here's what Paul says as he's writing to the church, as he's praying to the church. He says in verse 14 of chapter 3, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. And then he gives a whole list of important things that he's interceding on our behalf as the church for. But ultimately, it reaches its climax in verse 21 where he says that you, the church, may be filled with the fullness of God. God's plan and intent for our lives is for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he really takes full control of our life, everything changes. Your relationships change. Your work changes. Your, the way you view others changes. Everything is transformed by his presence. And the evidence that the Holy Spirit is within us are the fruits of the Spirit. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. You and I are made to overflow with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when that happens in us individually and even more importantly, collectively, as a gathering of people, God does amazing things. One of the things that he does, a theme that we see in the book of Ephesians is um, the Greek word would be mysterion. It's the word that we get in English for mystery. But it doesn't mean, you know, it's not Sherlock Holmes kind of a mystery. It's something that is hidden, that is unveiled, that is amazing. And what he's revealing is, is the church, to a large degree, is a mystery that um, is little understood. But he's revealing its purpose here in this, in this book. He says in Ephesians 5, verse 32, this mystery is profound, 
And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. That's the theme of this letter. Now, that particular verse is set in the context talking about the comparison, the model of marriage between a husband and a wife and how it reflects the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. But understand, that's the mystery that's being revealed. So we need to get a good understanding of what the church is. And first of all, the first point I would make that most of us know intellectually, but maybe we don't really live it on a practical basis, is you do not go to church. Thank you for coming this morning. I appreciate your being here and gathering together. But this building, which we normally aren't in anyway, is not the church. Neither is the one in Perutkova. The church is not a place. The church is its people, God's people. In the original language, the language of the New Testament, the, the word ecclesia, which is what we translate church, occurs 100 times. And um, it re always refers to a group or a gathering of people, never to a building. It's not a place, it is a people. It can refer to local gatherings, like what we would call the International Church of Prague, or Faith Community, or Prague Christian Fellowship, or Czech Brethren, or all the other wonderful sister churches that we have here in the city. Or it can refer to the church as a whole. And the truth is, and if you've been in church for very long, you, you find that this is true. There are no perfect churches. Um, everyone's imperfect. If you find there's an old joke, this is a great preacher joke, and I try not to tell those because I'm not funny, but I'm going to do it anyway. So if you find a perfect church, there's one rule. Don't join it because you'll ruin it, okay? It was doing really well, and then you came because we're what makes the church imperfect. I'm what makes the perfect. The church, see, see, the church imperfect because I fall short. But God transforms us and does something that is absolutely miraculous in bringing us together. And he changes everything about us. And so the church is the people of God. And it is designed to be a representation of his bride. The true church is multicultural, multiracial. It is a community that is woven together with beautiful threads of all different colors like a tapestry. And there is no human institution that is like the church. There's nothing that brings people together from such different backgrounds into unity, into a life as a family like the church. There are things that we attempt to do from a political standpoint um, that try to, to bring agreement, but nothing brings us together as family like what God does in the church. That's what the background of what Paul's talking about here. And he begins here in Ephesians with tearing down the walls that separate. Let's look at this passage that Karen read for us. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 11. Therefore, remember, at one time, you Gentiles, which is the nations, anyone who's not Jewish, you're included right there. Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which would be the Jews, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, 
alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He's writing address, an address to, to, to remind us where we came from. You and I, because of sin, are separated from God. And as he's writing specifically to the early church where there were both Jews and Gentiles together in the early church, he's reminding the nations that God has done a work to, brought, to bring us near to him. He's saying that there's a, there's a two-dimensional separation that humans face. The first dimension is that humanity is separated from God because of our sin. We're imperfect. But also, the nations, the peoples of this world, were separated from each other by a wall of hostility. And without Christ, that wall will not come down. History proves it. There was an article in the New York Times a few years ago that did a study looking at the numbers of years throughout recorded history over the last 3,400 years, how many of them did not include major war? And out of 3,400 years, in their study, they came up with 250 years where there wasn't a major war conflict going on between peoples. 8%. And the truth is, I've read another study recently that was examining, and it said that today, this was... These statistics were from about a year and a half ago. There are only 10 nations on the face of the earth that was not currently involved in a conflict or war. We are divided because that's what sin does to us. But Christ is reversing the effects of sin and of the curse and of the fall. Sin causes division, but grace brings us together. That's why grace is so powerful. The law, as we looked at some last week, reveals the need within us, but grace gives the power of God, what's in him, to bring us to him and to bring us together. Without Jesus, we have no hope of reconciliation. And that's what the next verse says. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one, and that both means both the, the Jews and the nations, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now, the, the illustration that Paul is using here was a vivid picture for him. In fact, I want to show you what he means because he's referring to a specific place in the temple. And I have a picture of the temple. If you can find that for me, um, Celeste, thank you. Okay, this is a picture of the temple that was rebuilt by King Herod. Now, King Herod, he added some things to it. They were not part of the original design when um, God had Solomon build the temple. And what you'll see is there was a court um, up top here for the priests, where the altar was before you're going into the holy place and the holy of holies. And that was built on a, a platform that was raised, and then there was, there's all these buildings around it, none of which were part of the original design of the temple. This is where, like when Jesus clears out the money changers, the people selling stuff, it's all these booths that had been built inside the temple that were about commerce rather than about worship. 
and they had some practical functions as well. But there above that, would have, but it was what it was supposed to be was an open area for people, not for business. And so this here, you can see this part here that's now cluttered with buildings was designed to be the women's court, but they filled it with other things. And then there's a wall right here. You can see the wall here and on that side. That was the court of the nations, of the Gentiles. And they put a wall up so you couldn't even come to this raised platform if you were not Jewish. Now, God in his his word put some separation to the people, but his design was always to work through um, his people to draw people to himself. But what happened as religion and and human effort became more and more involved and and corrupted the beauty of what God had designed to bring people to himself is they added things. And on this wall, according to the historian Josephus, there were placed numerous signs in Latin and in Greek that said, you cannot come near on punishment of death. So that's what you would be welcomed with if you were approaching the temple of God. You would be welcomed with a wall of separation, of hostility that said, if I go past this, I can be stoned to death. That's what Paul is talking about. And the reason that was so vivid in Paul's mind is because in Acts chapter 21, he was nearly beaten to death because some people believed he had brought a Greek from Ephesus into the temple past the wall. Let me show it to you in in Acts chapter 21 because this is the background upon which he is speaking. Acts 21 Verses 27 through 36. Uh, when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him, this is Paul who, who wrote to Ephesians, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and defiled the holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian, see how it connects, with him in the city. They didn't see him in the temple. They simply saw him somewhere else in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together and they seized Paul and they dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut and they were all seeking to kill him. So when he's writing about a wall of of hostility, it came with physical blows. It's not just an illustration like I might use. It was a little experience that he had gone through. He felt that separation and what they were trying to do. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and, um, and all who were seeking to kill him and word came to the tribune of the cohort, which is the Roman soldiers, that all of Jerusalem was in confusion. And he at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when he saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with chains. And he inquired who he was and what he had done. And some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another. And they could not learn the facts because of the uproar. 
And he ordered them to be brought into the barracks. And when they came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of people cried out, away with him. That's what he's talking about when he's saying, we were separated far. There was a division that was keeping us from coming to God. Religion was keeping people from coming to God. And also, unbelief was keeping people from coming to God. But the great news is that Jesus breaks down that wall of hostility. Not only the wall between us and God, which is something we could never, ever hope to do. He breaks down the wall between us and others. Ephesians 2.15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinance that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the, cro- through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, which is the nations, and peace to those who were near, which was Israel, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. It was a very real picture that he was painting in the scripture. And this is part of what we as the church are to proclaim, that Jesus has broken down the wall of hostility, the wall that divides us from God and the wall that divides us from one another. And he goes on and gives us three pictures of the unity that we now have in Christ. Beginning in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, the true temple, not not the representation that was rebuilt in Jerusalem, but the true dwelling place of God, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together as a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And he gives three beautiful images that we need to to remember as the church. Number one, the, the number one picture of unity is that the church is God's kingdom. We are fellow citizens. In this room, there's probably, um, on most Sundays, there's 35 to 40 different nations that are gathered. But we have one citizenship. We have a citizenship. Yeah, you go, Carol. We have a citizenship in heaven. We are united. And it's a beautiful thing. Our true citizenship is not to an earthly nation. And we should celebrate our home countries. It's not anything about being negative in that way. But what is a higher calling is our unity together as citizens of heaven. That's the first picture. The second picture is that he says we are the household of God. We're not only members of the same nation. We're the same family. It gets more intimate. It gets more beautiful. Because, you know, I love my home country, but I love my family a whole lot more. I'm far more loyal and passionate about my wife and my children and my grandchildren and the rest of my family than I am about my nation. And what 
the scripture is pointing us to is to have that same kind of love and, and desire for God's church, that we are family, that we are united together as the household of God. Every believer in Jesus Christ, even the ones that annoy you <laughs> and me, we are family because that's how family is. We all have that twisted, weird uncle. In my family, I happen to be him, so it's okay. You can ask all my nieces and nephews, and they would say amen to that, that it's true. We're family. But then it gets even closer, because not only are we related to one another as family, as the household of God, he says we are being built together as God's temple, the dwelling place of his spirit. This is one of the reasons why I've been encouraging us as a church to pray for the filling of the Spirit, not just individually, but as a church. Because collectively, that is where God does miraculous, wonderful, transformational things when we, as the people of God, are filled with His presence and with His power. So, we are the church. Now, let me give you some truths that I want, I want us to say. I put them there in your bulletin. I want us to say these truths about who we are together in the church because it's important for us to, to understand just like there's a beauty in the power of this new identity we've been given in Christ Jesus, when we truly understand what the church is, it will change our view of our calling and it'll change our view of one another. So here's what the scripture says. And we're going to put this up on, the, up on the screen about who we are in Christ. There we go. So would you guys say these, say these with me? We'll start with in Jesus Christ, and then we're going to say each of these that are uh, in bold there in your bulletin or up on the screen. In Christ Jesus, we are beloved of God. We are brought near to God in Him. We are built together in Him. We are the household of God. We are the pillar of God's truth. We are made complete in Christ. We are Christ's friends. We are joint heirs in Christ. We submit to Jesus Christ. We are loved by Jesus Christ. Jesus gave himself up for us. Jesus sanctifies us. Jesus washes us with his word. Jesus will present us in splendor. Jesus presents us. We are Jesus' body. We are Jesus' bride. We are saints. We are to make known the wisdom of God. We are one people in Christ. We are brought near to God. We are one new family. We are reconciled to each other. We are citizens of heaven. We are one body. We are gifted to do God's work. We are its dwelling place. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We are the church. That's who we are. Amen. Now, why is it important for us to know that? I'm going to show you. Because here comes, here's the part that's going to just be amazing. I can't find the right word in English. So make up a word in your own heart language that's really cool. All right? The church, its mission is to declare the manifold wisdom of God. That's our purpose. Let me show it to you. 
Ephesians chapter three. I want you to to go over just maybe it's another page or a paragraph down. Paul is revealing this mystery. He's talked about eight different times in the book of Ephesians. He's saying this mystery is revealed through the church. And look what it says. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, to the nations, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, that's through us, through who we are that we just announced out loud and said this is who we are, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now let that sink in for a second. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying God has chosen us and every other gathering of the church to reveal to the angels, to the demons, to all of creation, to the heavenly beings, to to the four living creatures that are revealed in Revelation, to the cherubim and the seraphim. He has chosen us to reveal his wisdom, the wisdom of his plan of redemption, of overcoming sin and overcoming the division that comes from sin. That's our calling. God has chosen us. This is why the scripture says, do you not know that you as the church will judge angels? There's a role that we have, and the scripture tells us in the Psalms that right now we're made a little lower than the angels. That's what it tells us in Psalms chapter two. And in Psalms chapter eight, it talks about how God is mindful of us. He has chosen us to reveal the beauty of his plan to the world and even to the heavenly beings. And I love, the, I love the word that he uses there. He says his manifold wisdom. Now, unfortunately, I was a car geek as a, as a kid, and to me, manifold is a part on a car, okay? It's, it, the engine comes out, the manifold goes to the exhaust. So I never thought about the word manifold as a descriptor because it doesn't have anything to do with exhaust on a car, just so you know. Manifold in the original language, what it means is is threads of a tapestry or a beautiful arrangement of flowers of color. It is a multicolored, multifaceted word that he's using as a descriptor. He's saying, I want to show you the colorful beauty of my wisdom, and it's reflected in my people in me bringing them together, bringing down this wall of hostility that separated them from God and separated them from one another. He wants to use us to reveal his plan and his purpose. He's given us a role and a responsibility that is absolutely incredible. He chose you to do that. Knowing everything about you, everything about me, He said, I want these people as broken and and as many mistakes as they make 
to show the beautiful wisdom of my redemption, that I, by giving my life, by Jesus laying down his life for us and rising up from the dead, is bringing people not only to God, but to one another. That's part of our mission as a church, to be agents, to be ambassadors of reconciliation. This is why in 2 Corinthians, um, we're told that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. It is our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ to be engaged as peacemakers, to bring people together. This means reconciliation in families, reconciliation in the workplace, reconciliation in communities, reconciliation between people groups. We are, we are to be agents of reconciliation that says the hope for you and the hope for all of us is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Let us show you what he's done for us, how he's brought us together. That's our calling. Now I wanna to conclude today with a look to the future because this reconciliation is pointing to a specific event, what I believe is the most important event in all of history. If you have your Bibles, I wanna urge you to turn to Revelation chapter five. If, you, if you've ever wondered why Becky and I are here, this is why. These verses will tell you why we believe God called us to be a part of an international church. Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song, and they're singing the song to Jesus the Lamb. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This song, this anthem that is being sung in heaven is the anthem of the victory of Jesus Christ. And, and it comes, if you, if you were to read it in context, we see that there's a scroll that is the, the completion of God's plan of, of redemption, of restoring creation, of restoring all things, and no one on the earth and no one in heaven is found worthy to open this scroll except the lamb who was slain, Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can open its seals and complete God's plan. And because he is worthy, he completes this plan of restoration. But did you see why he is proclaimed worthy? The proclamation is because he has ransomed people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people. It's not that he built a temple. It's not that he built a great community. It's because he rescued people from every different place, tribe, language on the earth. And not only did he ransom them, when it says he has made them a kingdom and made them priests, he is saying, I brought them together in the priesthood of the believer and every one of them, wherever they're from, without any disqualification, they are able to have access into my throne room. Every believer is of equal value to the Lord. There's no hierarchy of some are worth more and some are worth less. We are all worth exactly the same. The reformers said that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
Here we are seeing unveiled in the scripture the thing that proclaims the ultimate glory of Jesus Christ is his church consisting of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Because it has brought people together that sin and human nature would normally separate. Think of the history of our world. Think of, of, the, of the conflicts, of the genocide, of the horrible effects that come from our sinful nature. And then think how God has taken people from every different nation and brings them together as one. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that beautiful? I grew up in the, in the 60s. Yes, I really am incredibly old. And, and so, and in the United States during the 60s, um, there, um, the civil rights movement was, was very, very powerful. And so it was, um, it, was, it was a part of my growing up. And, uh, and we lived in a community, however, that was uh, very homogeneous. It, almost everybody came from the same cultural background. Um, in our high school, the high school that Becky and I went to, out of 1,200 students, we had one black family and one Asian family. Everybody else was either white farmers or whatever else they were. I don't know, but they, that's, that's where we, the community we came from. But that wasn't the experience that we had because some of our closest friends happened to be those, those families, some of the people that we related with. And we saw what the scripture was pointing us to is that, it, is that we are to be one. And the community now is totally different, and, and it's, it's beautiful to go back and see how God has, has blended it together in, in a beautiful way. But during that time, Dr. Martin Luther King had a really powerful statement about the church. He said that it is a tragedy that the most segregated hour of the week is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Too often that's been true of the church, that we have not rightly reflected who we are called to be in a unity of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And my challenge to us, I mean, we have an advantage as an international church. We get to see the beauty of what we learn from one another, from our different cultures and backgrounds, and it's, it's incredible. But as we go back and to our home countries, and those of you who are visiting Lord, I want to encourage you. Incorporate praying that, that the church will be diversified, not for a political reason, but because it proclaims the ultimate worth of Jesus Christ. It shows how he has broken down every wall that divides us. That's the reason why we should be agents, instruments, ambassadors of reconciliation. That's why we should invest our lives in getting to know people from different culture and celebrating who they are in Christ and building them up because it points to the glory of Jesus Christ. Church, I wanna just encourage us. We, we have a head start just because of the nature of being an international community. But let us be committed to praying that that will overflow here in Prague, in the Czech Republic, into our home nations, that we'll see people come together as one because it proclaims the greatness 
of Jesus, and it reveals even to the angels, it reveals to heaven and to hell the wisdom of a God who can overcome every division and hostility. May we be that kind of church. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I praise you for your word. I thank you for how you reveal truth to us. And Lord, I I confess my own shortcomings in, in this area. And Lord, I ask that you would grow us, grow me, with an ever-deepening love for your church. Lord, there's so much for us to learn from one another, to celebrate in one another. And Lord, I pray that that will become in each of our hearts a, a value that we pursue. And again, Lord, we do it because it proclaims the greatness of who you are. Lord, thank you for each and every person here Thank you for the beautiful reflection that they are in you. Lord, we celebrate your church because it proclaims your manifold wisdom. Help us, Lord, now to live as the church, to build one another up, to strengthen one another so that others may find hope and life in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.